listen. Okay, a lot of people don't like Fancy and Magic when they know it from D&D, but if you've read the Dinosaur stuff, Fancy and Magic is really cool, and they have an explanation for it in Rialto the Marvelous, the beginning of the book. I'm going to read you what a spell is, right? I've written it down. A spell, in essence, corresponds to a code or set of instructions inserted into the sensorium of an entity which is able and not unwilling to alter the environment in accordance with the message conveyed by that spell. These entities are not necessarily intelligent nor even sentient, and their conduct by the, or from the tyro, which I assume is caster's point of view, is unpredictable, capricious, and dangerous. The most pitiable and cooperative of these creatures range from the lowly and frail elementals through the sandestans, I don't know what that is, uh, more uh, fastidious entities are known uh, known by the Temuchin as Daihak, which include demons and gods. A magician's power derives from the abilities of these entities he or she is able to control. Every magician of consequence employs one or more sandestins, which I assume is like a blanket, blanket term for all of them. Um, a few arch magicians of Grand Mothalam dared to employ the force of the lesser Daihaks. Uh, so yeah, it's a spell is actually a code that has been inserted into like a, a, a sentient creature, and then you as the caster are calling forth the power of that sentient creature to make the spell happen. So that's why magic is like that's why you can only have a few spells memorized, right? In Vancean system, and it is supposed to make magic weirder and more unpredictable. You're listening to the Saturday Morning d Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Saturday Morning d and Show. I am your host, Jordan, with a uh, absent Lucian who had to leave uh, very, very suddenly. Uh, I guess his wife planned a bunch of vacations and he didn't know about it, so he's not here today. But uh, we did reach out to a good friend, Lex, over at Dick Dungeons, and he uh, has decided to... Uh, be in a restaurant and stream with us to talk about all things uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Dungeon Crawl Classics. We're probably going to talk a lot about OSR stuff. I know the title of this is July 4th in the Americocra, but uh, there will probably be less talk about that. So I'll change that later. Anyway, good morning, everybody. And Lex, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, it's me coming at you from your local Burger King. Yes, <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> not Hashtag not sponsored. Uh <laughs> First of all, how have you been? What's going on in the world of Lex? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, less RPG stuff than I would like. Oh, that's sad. Um, because we're, we're selling our house. The reason why I'm not at my nice computer with my nice condenser microphone uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and, uh, and lighting and stuff is because uh, the open house is right now, so I can't be at home. Right? I see. Um, but you were like, you should, you should do the show. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do the show. I'm yeah. determined. I, I mean, the dedication is so is so good. I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you. This is fun. And I'm actually, this is working out better than I thought. Because I, I I, reached out to you and uh, a, a Ted and a bunch of, and some a whole bunch of other people. And everybody was like, no, 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 no. And then you pinged me last night. And you're like, I'm still go. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I thought you were joking. <laughs> like, I'll do it from a restaurant. But I love the dedication we have uh, here. So this is great. Listen, my original thought was to do it from this really cool diner mm-hmm. that's in um, Western Massachusetts called the Waitley Diner. And my whole spiel about it was going to be that apparently they just filmed some of the upcoming season of Dexter like there. Oh. Because it's like a really iconic like 50s style diner. But I tried going there this morning and I couldn't even get a table. Like it was totally oh, wow. packed. So I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. But, is you know. Michael C. Hall coming back for that Dexter or is it like a reboot? Um, I wonder. I wasn't Michael C. Hall the guy in Dead Zone. He's the guy in Dexter. Am I getting the act? I might be getting the <laughs> actors mixed up, but uh, but I'm pretty sure it does have the same cast. It's just not set in Florida, I guess, because it was filming in Western Massachusetts. And yeah. You don't get too different than Florida than that, right? That was a weird show because it really kicked off super well and then ended terribly. Well, it just, it uh, went on for like nine seasons. Yeah, it went on for too you long. You could have, yeah, you could have ended it after like season five, it would have been fine. Yeah. But yeah, it got yeah. real boring. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't know. That's the problem, I guess, with like popular shows and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, welcome. So, um, in basically, Lex is my introduction to the OSR and and Dungeon Crawl Classics and all things oh, that are true. like uh, underlying D and D fun. Um, and so we were going to talk a little bit about the Dying Earth and Jack Vance because. Uh, if you don't know, Goodman Games is doing a Kickstarter right now for uh, their campaign setting for Dungeon Crawl Classics based on uh, the phone call that I'm getting right now. So based on uh, Jack Vance and the Dying Earth, which is novels from the 1950s, I think. Like, it's one of those that inspired uh, uh, original D&D. And the fact that we have Vancey and magic in D&D is because of the Jack Vance novels. And I've said this before, so I'm probably preaching to the choir here. Uh, I have read half of Kugel's saga and uh, a lot of the short stories that Jack Vance printed in like an anthology of the Dying Earth that's out there. And I want to finish it because I really enjoyed it. Although a little sexist. It is, uh, it is a fun read, but it's you just kind of have to be like, well, it is completely sexist because it's 1950s and he, they just didn't didn't write good women characters back then. Go ahead. So yeah, no, you're totally right about the the sexism angle. There are uh, there are literally women that are created to be companions yeah. for male characters in that <laughs> series, which is not great, but. There are some really interesting things, especially that those original stories say about mental illness that I think are actually extremely forward thinking. There's, um, I forget, I always forget, like there's a character whose name is Tissace and a character whose name is Tissane. Yes. And they're like kind of clones of each other. So I never Yeah, they're almost identical, I think. Yeah. Uh, except but one had a malfunction in the vatting process when they were being uh, created. Yeah. Yeah, so they're they're both female characters. They're both basically identical, but one of them had that that they were created wrong, so that there's an imbalance in their brain, so that everything uh, they see they perceive as ugly and horrible, mm -hmm. and thus are at, like lash out at stuff and like don't want to be around people and stuff and everything. And I just thought, wow, this is actually a very interesting sort of. Uh, allegory for mental illness yeah. especially then later on that character shows back up in a story uh later on in the same book and they and it's like about their journey and like not not getting rid of their mental condition but learning to live with it and adapt to it and still see beauty in the world so it's actually like really positive and like nice yeah. um yeah so to i'm looking at the characters now because i remember that story but to journ Turjan is the wizard, and he's yeah. created these uh, these clones or these these people. And there's another rival wizard that's like, I want to know. It, they always talk about the vats. He's like, I want to know your like vatting process. And and Turjan is like, I'm not going to tell you. Like, I'm not going to give away my magical secrets. Uh, but then there are these two women, and one of them, Tasias, Tasias, is. Literally, it says here, literally incapable of being pleased with anything or anyone and reacts with disgust to the sight sound of everything she perceives. So, like, the world to her is just an ugly, dark place. And she's very violent and, like, attacks a lot of people. And I I guess, I don't know, it's a short story, so I'm not spoiling a whole bunch. But doesn't she kill the, like, the good clone of her? Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, I think she attempts to. I don't think oh, she Or it's like an accident though. or something. But it, it's one of those things. And then... Uh, she gets put on a journey of like you I, and he's like apologizes. It's like, I, you know, you're in a, in a bad situation because of the vatting process or whatever, but like you can go forth and, and maybe you'll find a, a way to find true beauty in the world because everything just is awful to her. And she thinks everyone's out to get her. And I never really put that together for like an allegory for mental illness, but it's really true. And she's like learning to live with it and recognizes that there's something wrong with her in the sense of like, uh, a mental illness or even like a, you, you, I don't know, you have an allergy or you have diabetes. Like you learn how to live with this going forward. Uh, yeah. Her story is really cool. Now that I remember that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I so, think, go ahead. I think she ends up meeting up with this guy who's been cursed. Mm -hmm. I forget his name, but he's been cursed by like a witch. Um, so that his face has been swapped with like the face of a demon or yeah. something. And then everyone finds him, like, hideous and disgusting, and she's just like, I don't know, you look just as bad as everybody else. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, there's a connection there that they make, yeah. 
And that's one of my favorites is uh, they go to find this witch to get it reversed. And the witch uh, casts a spell to paralyze them uh, or something to that effect. Uh, make the, She was going to control them. But part of uh, the wizard to John before she let he let the the this clone Tosias go out into the world, he gave her like a protection spell, and so mm-hmm. this witch casts a spell on both of them, but it rebounds because of the protection she has and actually like freezes the witch, and they find uh, one of the things I like about Vancey and magic in these books is that if you can find a logical way of getting around the magic, then it's broken. And so he has to, the spell that's cast that then bounces back, it, it affects her demon phrase friend, and then it also affects the witch. And so he, they're both frozen, and she's asking her friend, the demon phrase friend, like, what can I do? How can I help you? And he has to answer her truthfully because of the spell. So he's like saying like, well, you've done this and this. And she's like, well, I don't know what to do. Like, I need you to help me. And he's like, well, you could tell me that I should have my own free will. And he's like, I want you to have your own free will. And then the spell's not actually broken, but he has mastery over it because of the of the way that she phrased the instructions. And mm. uh, I always thought that was really cool. And then he ends up giving instructions to the witch to take him to a place where he can be uh, healed and redeemed and and also, she can be healed and redeemed from her illness and stuff. And yeah, yeah. it's really cool. Um, I'm like spoiling everything, but like you should read the stories; they're really cool. <laughs> well, yeah, Tales of the Dying Earth. So, so like we were saying, there is some some like unfortunate sexism stuff in there. I think they're like 1960 that those are written, and then there's more Dying Earth stuff up until like the mid 80s. Yeah, but um, but there's another thing. One of the other stories uh, that I like because of what the author is telling us about the character more than the character themselves, but uh, Leanne, the wayfarer, which is about this guy. He's basically like a rogue and he's horrible. Like Mm -hmm. the first scene that he's in, he robs a dude at like knife point on the road. And then the guy gives him his magic items and the guy's like, Oh, you let me free you now. Right. And the guy's like, no, I think I'll torture you to death anyway. (laughs) Um, And yeah, yeah, he's, he's horrible. And then he comes across, um, this woman who lives like out in the woods and he's basically like, yo, I want to commit some sexual assault on you. Uh, I want to do that. And I'm reading the story and I'm like, this is terrible. This character is just an objectively horrible human being. So how is the story going to end? And the whole story is about that guy thinking like he's all that being very mm-hmm. full of himself and then getting his comeuppance and actually suffering like a terrible, terrible fate. <laughs> so, and the, and the woman who he was trying to assault basically winning out in the end right um because she's smarter than he is and i was like okay so i like this story because vance as an author is telling us like here's a despicable person and i'm gonna give them their just desserts Mm -hmm. and have the people who are maligned in the story end up win out right so i kind of appreciated that uh just as kind of a a good good like kind of revenge story right um it's just weird because it sets it up like Leanne is the main character. So as the reader throughout like the first uh-huh. part of the story, you're like, am I supposed to be rooting for this guy? Yeah. Cause he's awful. Um, but, uh, but that I appreciate about Vance's writing. Um, Have you read the Google but, stuff though? I haven't read the cool stuff. Okay. I've started on Rialto or Rot. How do you pronounce any of the names? Of these yeah. Stories? Who no, knows? I mean, um, I mean, but, you're talking but, to the guy, like, I have more comments on my videos of, like, you're pronouncing this wrong and this wrong, and, like, what is wrong with your pronunciations? And I've got a silent PH in my name. Nobody understands. It's awful. <laughs> but I'm going to say Rialto the Marvelous. Um, uh, I've started in on that. And okay. I actually have a quote from that that I want to read later when we talk about fancy and magic and what that means to other yeah. things. Oh, yeah. Um, the, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm looking at the characters. I remember him now because he is the... Yeah, he's one of the main wizards of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, so you talk about characters that you are like, am I supposed to be rooting for this guy? And Kugel is exactly that. He's a uh, a thief kind of scoundrel guy who gets into a bunch of mischief. And his entire story, I thought, was so cool because, he, I mean, he is... It's, it's, like wa- it's like watching a train wreck. You're just like, I can't really look away... 
be, but I'm entertained, but am I entertained for the right way? And he's also just a selfish, terrible person. But uh, his whole story kind of comes full circle too. And the ending to that was just like chef's kiss. I was like, this is the best way to end his, and he's got more stories apparently after that. I just haven't read it, but the ones that I read, I really liked. Um, but no, the world is, is really interesting. And wh- one of the things I wanted to talk about with his story is like that same using magic uh, or using logic to go around certain magics. And he gets into a problem where he gets cursed. And I'm, I wish I should have brought this up, but we kind of planned this last minute. So I didn't have time to think about it, but he gets cursed and then he gets another curse that kind of counters that. And so in his mind, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to die a quick painless death. But this one says that I'm going to die like a really long, painful death. So I think they just like cancel each other out. And I'm going to have like a, an average nice life. And he's like, oh, it's a wash. And he kind of just walks away. And I was like, that's so funny. Uh, There's a podcast I've been listening to called, it's from the Goodman Games people, and it's Appendix N. And they've just been going through some of the older stuff. And their Jack Vance uh, uh, Kugel story uh, podcast was really fun to listen to. Uh, So in this Dungeon Crawl Classics Dying Earth, they're going to have some new classes. And I guess they're reworking magic. Uh, But one thing I wanted to say is their last, not the last one, but uh, I think their last Kickstarter was Lankmar, but I was looking at their Peril of the Purple Planet Kickstarter, and everyone was like, this was the most successful Kickstarter Goodman Games has ever had. It's so cool. Blew it out of the water, and it's at, like, it, it finished at $68,000, and this one is already in the, like, $120,000, and it's only been, like, week one, and so I've been really impressed with it, and they're going, they're, they've got a lot of cool stretch goals, so. Well, it's just, I think over the last few years, RPGs in general have had like a really good time on yeah, Kickstarter and maybe true. Zine Quest kind of contributed to this a little bit, but you have like, um, obviously Matt Coville's Strongholds of Followers was a big breakout a hit dollars, and, yeah. and the Critical Role animated series was a big breakout hit, but even um, other games and game supplements like Into the Motherlands was, I think, 350, 360K, something like that. Wow. Uh, and the... Um, as many viewers of your show will know, the uh, the Weird Wastelands Kickstarter, um, which is it's sitting at like two sixty two eighty. Doing really okay? well, yeah. Um, so so the fact that um, Dying Earth, Goodman Games Dying Earth, is now at like two twenty doesn't surprise me at all. I'm like, oh no, that tracks. That's yeah. just if you're like this level of brand awareness and people understand your work is like this quality, like that's probably what you're gonna get. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's really cool. Um, so jumping forward a little bit, we were talking about, um, I was going to ask you some questions about like Ravenloft and the new 5e products and stuff and to see if they kind of like, uh, how you feel about them. But then I think how I want to switch that is like, I've been reading a lot of OSR stuff lately. Um, and the old school revival or old school Renaissance, I wish they would pick one so that I knew which one to say rather than both of them all of the time. But that is the reinterpretation of some of the older 1970s and eighties rules of Dungeons and Dragons. And they're not, uh, specifically old school essentials is what I've been reading. And I was under the mistaken that this is like a retro clone, but you were informing me that it's actually like, no, it's just kind of like a cleanup of the original rules. Like if you want to play, um, original D&D, like BX D&D or AD&D, uh, this is the best way to get into it because they've cleaned up the rules so much. Like, I have the rules cyclopedia, but it is just kind of all over the place, and it's almost a little better to have these nice compact books of... Yeah, so... Um, you yeah, played... I mean, Necrotic Gnome... Go ahead. Oh, okay, yeah. go ahead. sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I was gonna say... like, Necrotic Gnome has been putting it out, and they've been doing a really good job. Uh, but the OSR scene in general seems to have these really interesting creative products and comparing that to fifth edition. uh, I guess this kind of ties back to Kickstarters where I like when people are creating things from like their inspiration in their heart. Like I really love this and I want to make this and weird wastelands I think is another good example of that where like you can tell that this is a setting that uh, Jim Davis has probably played in his whole life. Like, he, every game he runs is this, like, 
apocalyptic world and things like that. And he's putting like a 5e kind of theme on it because that's where the money is. But I would almost be interested if he made a system neutral supplement that could be used in all of these different things. I uh, I don't know. That's what I I don't have a question. I'm just talking about creativity <laughs> in the OSR. I just want him to do this thing. <laughs> can you Lex, can you talk to him? I can do this thing. Uh <laughs> But um, no, we know the WebDM guys like a lot of the OSR stuff. I mean, I think I was introduced to a couple of OSR things from them mm -hmm. uh, or from the show, right? They were talking about um, Carcosa, the, um, the OSR supplement, which I actually wouldn't recommend. I don't like it very much, but, but it's interesting. Uh, and there is interesting stuff in it that you can pull out of it. Uh, but uh, that's like as, as OSR as you're going to get, yeah. right? So, so they're clearly very influenced by it, and that's cool. But yeah, I think you're right in that they're probably seeing that D and D five E has that what like eighty or ninety percent market share yeah. or something. It's like insane. They completely dominate the market. I really wonder uh, so what's going to happen if uh, there is a sixth edition that comes out. Which I mean, I think eventually there will be because everyone's going to refine the rules and stuff like that. But if a new version of D and D comes out, like fourth edition that doesn't have the open game license. Like all of these other people that are, I guess you'll always have fifth edition. And with as popular as fifth edition is, you could always make stuff for fifth edition, even though wizards of the coast is supporting only sixth edition, but it makes me wonder. Well, that that's what, what's funny. I was, I actually should have brought that up as a topic because that was really, that that's a really fun idea. Right. Um, just to, to play out. Not yeah. that I actually want that to happen. No, no, no. Horrible. <laughs> but um, Hypothetical. the, uh, <laughs> Yeah, as a hypothetical, very interesting. But what we could be seeing, right, if, if 6th edition comes out and maybe people are, like, not super into it for whatever reason mm -hmm. um, in terms of how it's written or how the rules come together, um, but and people want to stick with 5th because that's what they learned on, right? You might have a repeat of what happened when they jumped to 4th because you had all these people who learned yeah. on 3rd, and then you have Paizo come in and say, okay, we're going to make Pathfinder. It's just 3.75, yeah. right? And really, until 5th edition came out, Pathfinder was pretty much like what the D&D &D crowd were playing, no, by and large. No, it's outperformed D&D sales-wise or something. Yeah. And that might yeah. be just the sheer... Well, both companies were doing a lot of, like, books, 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 books. So, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I could totally see, probably not Paizo themselves, but a company. Yeah. Uh, maybe Cobalt Press. Actually, Cobalt Press would be perfectly positioned to do this. If they were like, here's... 5.5e if you don't like 6th edition guys yeah. and here's all these uh, monster books and other things that we've already made for it kind of a yep, thing that, that are all compatible, compatible right yeah yep so uh, i could see something like that happening uh yeah i really don't want them to get rid of the ogl because without the ogl so for those who don't know ogl open game license um it's how third-party publishers get to make dnd stuff it's basically you know, Cobalt Press, they get to exist because there's the OGL. Mm -hmm. um, the Weird Wastelands thing, thing gets to exist because of the OGL. Um, Matt so, Colville's book, all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, because yep, of all the that stuff. open game license. Because yeah. of the OGL. Um, and there's a lot of thoughts. Because WotC is owned by Hasbro, and Hasbro is kind of a heartless corporation, right? <laughs> um, there, there are some assumptions uh, and some rumors flying around that they might ditch the OGL for sixth edition so you wouldn't be able to get third-party licensed products and the theory behind why they might do that is because then watsi can control the entire DD ecosystem yeah so they can be like here's the dms guild if you want to publish anything for our game it has to be we have to get cut and it has to be on our platform which means we have to approve it right so they can mm -hmm. completely like control not only their ip but the entire game and if you're a big corporation like I get why that's appealing to you. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, we get a cut of all. Of, and, and even Wizards of the Coast, uh, I think they value the OGL a lot because they see what it does for the community. Mm -hmm. Like, like, oh my gosh, this Kickstarter made so much money. We're going to sell more books because that guy made this book and got another person to be a DM or something, you know? Mm -hmm. I think they, they very much see that it, we need to invest in this community, like the people that work for Wizards of the Coast. But I look yeah. at Hasbro, and their whole gimmick is, I own an intellectual property. I'm going to license you. Like, yeah. I own G.I. Joe. I'm going to license it to the movies to make a G.I. Joe movie. And I yeah. own this, and I'm going to license it to you to make movies. So when they see a million-dollar Kickstarter, there's like, well, where's our 15%? Yeah. 
Like, exactly. And that's right. why I think Hasbro has that mentality. Whereas I, the employees uh, that work on D&D, I think they very much understand the value in it. But Hasbro as a company, yeah. Yeah, like to be clear, you know, Chris per- Perkins and Jeremy Crawford, I think, pro- probably are not thinking this way. But yeah. I think like, I don't know his name, but the CEO of Hasbro is probably the one who's yeah. thinking this, right? Um, but for those who are grognards, right, or yeah. just to play D&D back in the day, you may remember these kind of business practices from TSR. Because their whole thing was like, they didn't have anything like the OGL. And they were, they would pursue lawsuits at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Like they did not want anyone making anything that was like D&D. And those were like dark times, right? For that game specifically, um, though not the hobby overall, because a lot of interesting games grew out of people not being able to do D&D stuff yeah. uh, in the 90s. But, um, but yeah, and I just don't want to see a return to that because that sucks. Yeah, uh, but that's and, the thing is, I, I, if I, I'm not mistaken, I don't think they can revoke that. So, like, if the OGL is, if they've published an OGL, you'll always be able to use that, which is how Dungeon Call Classics came about and Pathfinder. And a lot of these, they took the 3.5 and they were like, we can do this. And you have uh, Necrotic Gnome with the OSE where Mm -hmm. where they're just cleaning up the rules and making old school essentials. And so they they can't retroactively revoke stuff for past editions. I mean, maybe they could try, but legal precedent says you can't copyright rules mechanics. Right. so you can't they copyright probably can't. a dice roll like yeah yeah um but going forward could they try to write sixth edition in such a way that they can copyright it yeah they could yeah. totally do that yeah. um so so yeah it's uh hopefully that won't happen fingers crossed but it's <laughs> uh you know one of the possible timelines that we might be looking at <laughs> uh are you uh, a variant i thought Dude, Loki is so good. It's I'm so sorry. good. It's so good. It's so good. It gets me thinking so... We, okay, I'm not going to talk so much about Loki, but like, uh, I... Speaking of which, I need to send you a meme when we're done with this because I like have this Loki meme that I'm like, have you seen the latest episode? I need to send you this meme. Um, but uh, I, I think a lot about campaign endings and beginnings, and it would be so fun to me if like you kill the glitch... You guys are like level 12 or whatever, and you destroy this lich, and you save the day, and then all of a sudden, a portal opens, and someone steps through wearing a police uniform, and they're just like, uh, that was, no, you're not allowed, and they like escort you back over, you're like, what? And now you're in a completely different plane of existence trying to figure out what's going on. Um, that made me so happy. <laughs> like, I was just like, that's what I want to do in a campaign. I think that's so cool. And in a way, I got to do that with uh, Rod of Seven Parts, where it's like you guys are bouncing around, and then you wind up back in Sigil, and you're like, oh, okay. Guess we saved the world. We put a rod together. <laughs> like, It's all very exciting. When are we going to have Rod of Seven Parts campaign, too? I want to. Happen. Who knows? I um, want to. Uh, we, yeah, we need to figure out a time to do that, because uh, I, I've been reading... Well, I, I've always enjoyed reading older stuff, uh, uh, adventures and what have you. And I've been reading The Great Modron March. And although that campaign is for, like, levels 2 to 6 or something for AD&D, the cool thing about these old adventures is, like, the puzzles are always interesting. Like, Mm -hmm. regardless of what level your character is, really. Like, it's always an interesting puzzle. And all I have to do is just up monster combat. Like, that's fine. Like, oh, you don't fight this. You fight this instead. Uh, and I did that with Rod of Seven Parts because I'm like, I don't know, I want you guys to start at level five rather than level one. And then, yeah. So I, and I think being in Sigil and having the great Modron March start, which for those of you who don't know, it's this once every very specific number that is important somehow, uh, every year or so, uh, but it's not every year. It's like every like 182.3 years or something. Uh, the Modrons start walking out of Mechanus and they go through every single plane on the Great Wheel in a big circle. And for some reason, the the plot of the Great Modron March is this, this isn't scheduled to happen for another 87 years, but it started happening early. And so everyone's like, what's going on? And so your players kind of have to figure out like what's happening and why are the Modrons marching early? And it can't be stopped. So, like, entire towns get decimated because millions of Modrons just, like, walk over it. It's like a plague of locusts that you can't stop. And so, oh, my God. It's, it's a, a fun idea. I like it a lot. Horrific, weird-lipped locusts. Yeah, they're just, <laughs> <laughs> just walking through. It's, like, so funny. Uh, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would say I, you would know better than I, but I think that is probably the most well-known, like, Planescape adventure that they uh, yeah, that TSR put so. out. Um, I would say so, so and, yeah. Yeah. It's fun. There's other ones like uh, Dead Gods and stuff where you have to travel to the Planescape, or uh, the, uh, not the Ethereal Plane, the... Uh, Astral, astral sea? plane, yeah, the astral sea, and there's like dead floating god corpses there that you have to like take care of and stuff. It's really interesting. Sick. I love Planescape. So that's a good uh, idea. Like, you you play a lot of D and D. You played a lot of Forgotten Realms, I know, because you've ran some adventures there, especially Fifth Edition adventures. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite classic campaign setting? And does it bother you if that? Well, well, well what's your favorite classic campaign setting if you have one? This is a good. This is a good question. I mean, um, I think I've told the story before maybe even on the show, maybe the last time I was on, but how my friends like on to work for TSR. So we got a bunch of um, modules and oh, stuff. Yeah. Um, so I was playing like nineties Ravenloft modules and Planescape modules and dark sun modules. And, Ooh, that's, it's tough, right? Like you can, I mean, different, is definitely the most flexible stories, but <laughs> sure. I mean, I think I probably like Ravenloft the most, but I think that's just because it has the strongest, most specific aesthetic mm-hmm. of any of them. Because, like, Planescape is really cool, but it's kind of all over the place because it's all these different planes. Um, Spelljammer, I love it, but it's too silly. It is very <laughs> too silly. silly. <laughs> if you like silly, it's super fun, but, yeah, it's, yeah. it's out there. Um, and Dark Sun is fine, but I feel like it's a little too... I feel like it lacks some of the depth that it needs, right? Like I would play in a lot of Dark Sun games and I would just be like, oh, once you got over the fact that like you're in a desert, you're going to die of heat stroke or lack of water Mm -hmm. and magic is evil. Like once you get past the initial, oh, that's really cool. You, I just didn't find a lot more there to engage with, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Whereas I think Ravenloft is great because it draws on a literary tradition of Gothic horror that is just like a huge ocean of stuff you can you can pull from. So it gives you a lot of, not only is there a lot of material that was published to work with by TSR and now by Wizards, uh, but I think if you just draw plot elements from like Shelley or uh, Stoker or whoever, mm-hmm. uh, you can definitely um, flesh out more. There's all kinds of, I mean, the classic monster movies and stuff. And I think the new mm-hmm. Ravenloft I really liked uh, because of that. Like I... I want like a creepy mummy Egyptian thing. Well, here you go. And then you can like build a quick little adventure and that could be a three month adventure or that could be like a one shot, you know, and, and it's been, it's kind of fun that you can do that. So, but have you read the new Ravenloft? Do you like it or? <laughs> so I haven't read all of the new Ravenloft. Okay. I've read like bits and pieces of it. Uh, I really, really like that they have hopping vampires in it Yeah, <laughs> because I love hopping vampires. I, in the last like year, I think during lockdown, right. Mm-hmm. I discovered, because I've always been, I think I was also talking about this on the last episode of your show I was on, but I discovered the, the hopping vampire, like, genre of Hong Kong films from, oh, like, yeah. the 80s. Yeah, we talked about that movie that I saw that I'm like, how have I seen that movie? <laughs> <laughs> and I just, there are so many of them, and they're all basically the same movie, and they're all amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this Mr. Vampire, one through five, Magic Cop, Vampire versus Vampire, Ultimate Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> It just, it goes on and on. And they're, yeah, they're all fantastic. They almost all have the same cast, too. Yeah. Which it is was probably great. the same director, and he's like, hey, we finished one film. Oh, you need more work. Let's go film another yep. one. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, those I highly recommend. But when I saw that they put them in a D&D book, I was like, yes, I love these guys. Um, but there are a lot of fun monsters in there that I really like. And, um, and some of yeah some of the tools for running like horror mm-hmm. in your games and stuff were much needed for 5e um because 5e is such like um a heroic fantasy like big superhero type yeah, game you're superheroes like you are very yeah. powerful yeah so you really need those extra mechanics in there to make horror work like it's i think it's easier to make that work when you're doing like first or second edition yeah because you you are squishier yeah just in a general yeah. sense um, no, and I, so I'm in an Eberron game right now, and we were talking about, uh, starting at first level versus starting at third level, and I was saying, like, no, that's huge, because, like, I'm, I'm legit scared at first level in combats, 
Like it's kind of spooky. And like with the right monster and a right critical hit, like you can take your health or double your health and actually just straight up die and you can't come back. Um, and there's a, there's a certain fun about that where you're like on edge, like, I don't know. And then, uh, I, I've been playing, um, old school essentials, which is very similar where you have less, um, you have less skills, things like that. Like, Oh, I want to do an athletic skill or I want to do an acrobatics or I want to do this kind of a thing. You have less of those, but as a player, I think as you play this, you're more like, how do I, how do I cheat this? Like, can I lure this monster into a pit of snakes? Can I uh, stay up here and fire arrows so he can't get me? Like, you're thinking larger than just, I know that I can roll an acrobatics check or I know I can roll an attack kind of a thing. Uh, because you want to, uh, you want to survive. And, like, you know that, like, you're not surviving by being, uh, by playing by the, quote, rules of D&D in a way, uh, because you're just squishy, so. Which kind of goes back to Dungeon of the Mad Mage, or not Dungeon of the Mad Mage, sorry. It goes back to D Jack Vance and the Dying Earth, and just Dungeon Recall Classics in general, where you are more squishy. Although, DCC, if you get to, like, level two or three, you're probably pretty strong at that point. <laughs> sorry, I have to text my realtor real quick. Oh, you're good. Uh, uh, but yeah, so, I will ask you another question. If you okay. like Ravenloft, do you enjoy being in a real in a regular like a Forgotten Realms campaign and getting pulled in there? Is that like the ideal way to run it, or do you like starting there? Like you guys are just part of Ravenloft. I'd rather. I don't know. I think it could work either way. Yeah, pretty well. Because so much of like Ravenloft with the different domains of dread is like you want to explore this domain of dread, but I don't. Yeah, I think being pulled there is probably better because since Ravenloft is so specific, I would rather play a like a six month campaign. Yeah. There. But I wouldn't but then I would want to transition to like I would I want the adventurers to eventually escape, right? Yeah. So that they can like have that victory. Cause, you know, it's either that or they're or they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh or you could do a really fun thing. You would still have to end the campaign here, or you should, but you could do a really fun thing where they don't escape, but maybe they become a dark lord of some domain. That would be cool. That would be right? really cool. Uh, I always, so the, the Vecna storyline from AD&D was really fun because you start out in Greyhawk, like investigating Vecna coming back to life. And then through that storyline, Vecna gets banished to Ravenloft, and you go to Vecna's domain of dread where they're a dark lord. And so then you have all these fun Ravenloft mechanics. And when you actually confront Vecna there, he escapes again into Sigil. And then you have to transport to Planescape and take care of the problem there. And I was like, you know, this is, this is all over the place, but I like that it's the same villain. And you get to like bounce around to these different campaign yeah. settings, which was another, uh, I think, TSR thing where they're like, if we can hook them this way, then they'll have to buy extra books, which was the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> to buy all the different settings. Uh, so well, the I mean, Witchlight book is coming out. That's the new adventure mm, in the Feywild. Uh, Feywild. Do you like the Feywild? Are you, have you ran yeah. adventures there? No. Because it's a fourth edition <laughs> so. thing, kind of. Well, fairy's always been around, but like... Sure. Uh, they, they put the name Feywild on there, so... Yeah, no, I have never had any significant interest in the Feywild. I mean, I think the most interest I've ever had with it is, uh, like many people who did theater stuff in high school, I like um, Midsummer Night's Dream and how that's basically a Feywild story. Yeah. You know? Um, and uh, I think doing, like, a political intrigue campaign in the Fey Court would be very interesting. And actually, Cobalt Press, I believe, published a book that's basically that. I think it's called um, Fake Court, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like uh, Knights so, of the Fake Court or something, yeah. And it's Yeah. So so that that I think would be a cool angle to do. And when I heard about Witchlight, I was like, okay. And then I saw that it was like a carnival that uh, that's how you like get there. And I was like, eh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, it didn't really grab me. I didn't dislike it. And the cover art's really phenomenal that yeah. they have for it. Uh, but, but yeah, it didn't really grab me. So I'm probably not going to engage with it too much. Uh, I also remember reading that thing that was like the, they're sort of having the Feywild be like the, the, the flip side of Ravenloft. Yeah. I, I, so I the was, domains of delight 
right? Yeah, so they that's on the back cover, and they're calling it the Domains of Delight, and then we have, obviously, the Domains of Dread is Ravenloft. And it makes me wonder, in 4th edition, they created the Shadowfell, which is actually, Gloomrot and Beyond is a really cool 4E uh, campaign setting for the Shadowfell. And I've ran uh, a little bit of a Shadowfell game, 5th edition game, using that supplement. Um, because there's a whole city and there's like rules for weird undead creatures that are just in the Shadowfell and it's kind of fun. But for 5e, I was wondering, are you getting rid of that? And you're going to kind of lump Ravenloft in with the Shadowfell as a domain. And now you're going to do the other side of it. I don't know. Because technically uh, oh, actually, the Shadowfell still in 5e, like it's in the books and stuff, but we've never yeah. experienced it or they they don't reference it in adventures and stuff lately. Mm-hmm. That actually brings up a question about the Shadowfell that I have for you. You say that it was created in 4th edition. Um, remember in 3rd edition when you had the Netherese come back, the Empire of Shade? Yeah. Uh, were they trapped in the Shadowfell or were they somewhere else? They were in the Plane of Shadow. And oh, so, I'm sorry. How could I get those two I, Exactly, yes. <laughs> so in 3rd uh, edition and earlier... Um, there's the plane of shadow and it's like the dark reflection of our material plane. Uh, and they, yeah, the netherese, uh, I forget the name. It starts with a TH, but their floating enclave saw the destruction because of Carsus's folly of their mm-hmm. empire. So they, they, before then they were throwing their trash in the, in there. And I always thought that was really funny because they're just like, we, they'd open up portals to the plane of shadow and just like dump trash in there. And it was like, I don't know, it just gets rid of our trash. Like, it's great. And so then they pulled their whole flying city into the shadow fell or to the plane of shadow. So when fourth edition came around, um, they did a lot with, uh, well, in third edition, I think Shar was in, the goddess Shar was in control of the plane of shadow and so you could get shadow magic, which was like uh, not, it was like a it was dark. illusion, right? It was, it yeah, was, it was mostly was... illusion, but it, it's, uh, you could be like a, a dark magic uh, sorcerer or wizard and you could do the same spells as a regular wizard, but it was always like an illusionary shadow version of it. And then your necrotic powers were like amped to 11 for some reason. Mm. So I could cast, if I was a shadow mage casting animate dead, it would, be more effective than casting it as a regular wizard because of your like connection to the plane of shadow. Um, Char, this is a history lesson now. So Char's trying to kill the goddess of magic and become the new, like her, her shadow weave was going to replace the regular weave and all magic would then be coordinated through her. And Mm -hmm. in doing that, she created the shadow fell. And so the, netherese that were hidden in the plane of shadow are now hidden in the shadow fell and they come they get pulled uh back to uh back to uh Faerun through their magical portal process yeah and then that's where we get uh the shatter kai are the people that were living there and in fourth edition they were humans but in fifth edition they made them elves because we have the Eladrin and they wanted a dark version of Eladrin that live in the Shadowfell. So that's where that came from. Yeah, this is what happens when you ask Jordan a Forgotten Realms question. So there you go. <laughs> I didn't know. The, you're the person I'm going to come to. Like, you know so, um, but yeah, what, what, where were we? What was the topic, though? Oh, what was uh, the topic? Uh, which light? Uh, oh, yeah, which light? <laughs> uh, the, the only thing that I was completely like offended by when I was reading the back cover of Witchlight was the fact that it's the Witchlight Carnival and it's run by Mr. Witch and Mr. Light. And I'm like, guys, guys, that's very poor writing. Please, <laughs> please don't do that. Um, they need like a full like, long name that like, oh, but we call him Witch for short. It should have been like Witchtiffius something or other. <laughs> sure. I just think that having a character whose name is Mr. Witch and a character whose name is Mr. Light, just silly. Too silly for me. Too silly. Um, that's but, why we uh, don't play Spelljammer with Lex. Too silly. <laughs> it's too silly. I'm sorry. I can't do it. Um, but uh, but no, that otherwise, like, yeah, I, I think it's actually really cool that 5e is like, hey, the Feywild, it was kind of already a campaign setting, but not one that anyone had fleshed out. We're going to flesh it out. Yeah. And I, you know, give them props for that because they're not just going back to an older one like Ravenloft and fleshing it out. Because yeah. um, I know a lot of people keep calling for 
you know, them to do redo Dark Sun or redo Spelljam or Confirmed or redo uh, something else. And I'm always just like, I don't know, guys. You could really easily convert that old stuff. You, it already exists. You yeah, and we talk about this a lot, actually. I think we, me and you specifically have had this discussion both on air and off air quite a bit where, like, I buy a lot of these older books um, and especially drive through RPG. They'll print like I have a print on demand version of dark sun and the lore is still there and all that other stuff. And it's the same thing with the great Modron March. You, you have this story. All I have to do is create a few mechanics or something like that to kind of play around with it. And, but that's also part of the fun for me as a dungeon master. When I ran rod of seven parts, I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, converting the power of the rod into 5e game mechanic terms so that was fun to be like okay well it does this in second edition i think it should do this in fifth edition kind of a thing and so that's fun Um, yeah and it's not like i don't like the the conversion stuff like a lot of the ravenloft stuff is really good yeah Uh, but but you know i'd rather see them taking their hand to something new which is why i'm actually very excited about the like semi-announced new campaign setting that's happening later on i'm really curious to see what that's going to be um, and why I really liked um, some of the Magic the Gathering conversions, like specifically Ravnica. I think actually Ravnica is by far the most underrated book that Watsi has put out and probably the most underrated campaign setting for 5th edition. I think there's so much cool stuff that you can do for that and it is largely ignored. <laughs> yeah, so it's. I was watching Sly Flourish. Uh, I'm a big fan of him. And he's been doing some of... He's been taking his Twitch streams and condensing them down to like a 20-minute video rather than an hour where he just highlights the things. And he feels the same way. He's like, these Magic the Gathering books uh, for D&D are great. Um, But he had a good way where he put it where he said, uh, what if I came up to you, Lex, and I'm like, hey, do you want to play in a new campaign setting? It's all ancient Greek-themed. You're going to be like big heroes. The gods walk around. You're going to talk to them. You're going to do all this stuff. We're going to kill a Hydra. And he's like, you talk to people like that. And they're like, oh, that sounds awesome. And you're like, yeah, it's actually uh, a Theros Magic the Gathering campaign. And they're like, oh. And so like the minute you say it's Magic the Gathering, they're like, well, I don't play Magic the Gathering. I'm not interested now. And it's like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well, no, who cares? Like, throw it out the window. Like, like if you don't play Magic the Gathering, then you certainly don't know these gods. You don't know any of this. Like, just treat it like a new campaign setting. And mm-hmm. Ravnica's the same way, where I was like, I was not excited about Ravnica until I, I got the book for Christmas because my sister's like, I don't know what to get you here. This is D&D related. And I sat there and read the whole thing, and it's really interesting. And I, I don't know if I would run a Ravnica game, but, like, if you want to embrace that lore, like there's a lot there and there's a lot of really cool things you can explore. And like the idea that a planet is a city, like that's, mm-hmm. that's intense and that's kind of fun. So. Yeah. And it's why I'm excited for the Strixhaven book. Yeah, I think so too. And what we saw with that on our, on our Starcana, where you have subclasses that can be used for multiple different mm-hmm. casting classes was really interesting. Like that's an interesting sort of rule variant that i hope they explore more i think that is another one of those things where it feels like they're testing the waters for sixth edition like when sixth sixth edition will still have archetypes but it'll be like this is the like like half caster that is has this specific theme archetype and you can use it with any class right right um so instead of saying uh i'm a wizard or a sorcerer you kind of like here's magic and you direct how you're gonna interpret it well no i mean they could do that but i I, what what i'm thinking is what they might do is something like i'm a wizard but i'm like uh i don't know like a blade singer wizard right okay and then the fighter can be like i'm a fighter but i'm also a blade singer fighter right so you you have the structure of the class but then the class archetype can be slotted into any different class it's like it's like uh yeah okay i see so you you create your own subclass based on marrying the two in a way so. Yeah, and it's kind of like um, because we see that in 5e, one of the big design pr- principles is making things modular, mm-hmm. um, and that's worked really well for them. So I wouldn't be surprised if they just take that a step farther for yeah. the next edition, right? Um, but anyway, the, the strict haven stuff where they are sort of testing the waters with that, I think is good. I mean, I think it's kind of like overpowered. We're definitely seeing a lot of like power creep show up in 5e, which is silly because they don't even have even put out that many books. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just, interesting because 
But I, you know, I, I was talking to, or I saw Celeste Conowitz. She was making uh, some really interesting tweets where she's saying, like, I don't think we have the same power creep that we had in 3.5. No. Um, but I would feel very sad if it was, like, a brand new person to D&D who sits down at, say, like, I don't even, even Adventure League. Like, sits down at Adventure League with just the PHB. And everyone else there is like, well, I've got all these books and I D&D Beyond and all this other stuff. And so they have uh, options up the wazoo and you're a Beastmaster Ranger from the original yeah. PHB, you know? Yeah. And so you're just going to not perform as well as some of these other people. But but that's also maybe just the learning of the game, you know? I don't know. Yeah, it definitely feels like, I mean, it's probably good that we're getting towards the end of 5e's life cycle in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's it has started to become unbalanced in those ways and a re and a, you know, rules reset will fix that. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. are you, <laughs> when you run games for fifth edition now, are there, uh, do you, do you stop things? Like before I was like, if it's a published material, you can go ahead and do it and we'll make it work. But lately I'm, I want to say like, Hey, I'm going to run, um, I don't know. Like I'm going to run an Eberron game. So I'm like, no tieflings, no, this kind of thing. We're going to do, mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, these subclasses don't really work, so I don't want any, like, Feywild subclasses and satyrs in my Eberron game. Uh, have you limited stuff like that now with the with the amount of 5th edition books? I do, actually. I go with the Adventurers League rule, I think that's what it's from, which is Player's Handbook Plus One. Yeah. Uh, just because I don't want people to mix and match the different Splat books, because I think that does start to get a little silly. Um, and it's interesting, because not i think it was after tasha's came out now i get pushback on that but prior oh, to that yeah. people were basically like oh okay well i'm just gonna it's gonna be player's handbook plus xanathar right yeah um and like maybe it would be player's handbook plus like a race from bolos maybe but usually they were just like oh, i'll use xanathar's um but now that it's like i have xanathar's and tasha's i want to be able to use both of them I'm like well you can only use one uh, <laughs> so that would be they're... interesting to do just a php plus tasha's and you, there's a lot of spells and Zanathars and stuff that you would not get. Feats, racial yeah. feats and stuff. So, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, that's, um, so now at this point, people are starting to get annoyed with me about it. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm just trying, you guys, you have plenty of options. Please. The um, fact that I'm just constraining you makes it more interesting. Just remember that and play the game. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep the game balanced, please. Like, I mean, considering the fact that even the stuff from the player's handbook um, already far out matches most monsters once you get past like level five, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you combine those other books in there, yeah. what, are you, what are you supposed to do? Nathan in chat actually, uh, he was saying, I think they changed it to PHB plus two now because of- Oh, of get Tasha's. out of here with that. So, Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think I think uh, you need to reevaluate your, I'm gonna contact your players. And let them know it's not that so. it's not that for me listen my my game my rules rock falls everyone dies <laughs> everyone uh, but but no um i feel like i was going to make another point with this i don't remember what it was we're running a little on time uh oh yes what do you want to talk about i want to talk about the osr versus 5e like the dichotomy of that because i know you had mentioned that at the top of the show and a little bit before the show um and i thought it was an interesting topic so i wanted to get on it um but i think you had posited that the osr has kind of more more passion maybe more creative depth than we see in a lot of 5e stuff Mm -hmm. um and my theory is that there are two things behind that right the the first one is kind of that like, especially if you're a third-party publisher and you want to publish something for 5e, you don't want to go way out in the left field because then you're not making it as accessible to the widest audience. And 5e is a game that's accessible to a wide audience. Like I think Weird Wastelands is like, maybe as far as I've seen most people go. It's towing and, the line in a way, yeah. Cause like, And honestly, like if you compare that to some OSR products, that's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing. Um, what is that ultraviolet? Like, uh, ultraviolet grasslands? Yeah. yeah, the psychedelic metal, prog metal yeah, RPG. Completely out there. <laughs> or like, or like Vampire Cruise, mm-hmm. which is pretty self-explanatory, yeah. right? Like, great game. Um, <laughs> great game. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think that you that's part of it. And I also think it's because with Five E, there is a certain um, 
framework that things need to fit into. Mm -hmm. And we see this a lot. It's also kind of like how we have DriveThruRPG. We have OSR products on that. and They're really wacky. And then we have DMs Guild and there are D&D products on that. And they're not even close to as wacky. But theoretically, those are like the same storefront, right? Um, But I think it's because people see a 5e book and they see how the book's structured, like the, the syntax that they use, the like kind of title thoughts, the way information is dispersed, right? And people be like, okay, well, if this is the best, if like Player's Handbook does it this way, and this is the best selling book, this is the example I need to follow for my product, right? Mm -hmm. Which makes sense because your audience is used to that. So that's what they would expect. But with the OSR, you don't have that kind of thought process or constraint because there is no central project product, right? 5e is like everything is taking into mind the big three volumes, right? In that in that game. Whereas the OSR, you're thinking about the rules of old games, but you don't really have a central book that is currently being published that you're focusing on, mm-hmm. right? You're just like, oh, okay, I can do whatever. So that's why you have stuff like Morkborg, right? Mm-hmm. If you're talking about um, in terms of information distribution, layout, art, design is just so far removed yeah. from anything that you'd see from a 5e publisher almost in a negative way with Morkboard. like i've had i've had both sides of the coin when i talk when people Mm -hmm. talk about that book one of them was like it's so creative it's so interesting and then the other side is like i like the idea of Morkboard. like the game is really cool but like it is difficult to figure out where what page and where i'm supposed to look because every page is a huge art piece in a way yeah that's you can't parse the information because it's presented to you in a different like format page to page so you need to figure out the format each time you turn the page um or even i sent you something the other day that i found which was a uh a record called death robot jungle jungle death robot jungle robot something but it's it's a record that is a role-playing game Mm-hmm. And so you put the record on and it's got like noises and, and, and act, well, it, it's got some sound effects, but it's also just like uh, an ambient track. And then the, uh, the layout, the cardboard is the game and it's got all the rules there. It's a really simple RPG and you just kind of play through it. But I, I, I don't know, it was called like Death Jungle Robot. And I'm like that, I want that. Like just because of the name, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. But it was sold I, out. I love it. It's really sad. Uh, yeah, no, I love those like slipcover Slipcovers for and and like the fold out covers for albums are always so cool. Yeah. You can like do so much with them. Uh, so it, it's totally cool that they want to do that with RPG. Does um? But do you think that ancient five E constrains you? Then is that kind of what you were touching on in a way? I think or? I think that people feel that it does. Okay. But like you know, I'm a best selling author on the DMs Guild, not to toot my own horn. But if you if you if you were to buy Joy of Monster Cooking and read it, is that formatted like five e books? No, yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. It's actually specifically formatted like the Joy of Cooking. Like I scanned pages of the Joy of Cooking and copied the fonts and the format layout. <laughs> um, but uh, so so it's formatted in a way that is a proven format that works because uh-huh. another book used it that was very popular. But it's nothing like the five e layout. And I think that some people don't like that, and maybe some people do. I mean, it sold pretty well, so obviously some people do. But uh, there's, uh, I really think that, like, I have some random 5e projects on the back burner, and one of the things I want to do for them is keep pushing that layout in different directions. Yeah, um, that's cool. Because, like, it's cool Well, to, I mean, I don't want you to be like, hey, this is what I'm working I on. I can't, but, like, I'm not going to spoil anything, okay. partly because all of the pieces aren't in place for it, so I don't want to be like, this is a project I'm working yeah. on, and then, like, somebody can't do it and i'm like uh i know i said i was working on this but i'm not anymore sorry because uh, <laughs> that would make me feel bad but i do want to there's actually an author on the guild i'm totally blanking on their name they've made a bunch of eberron stuff that's set in the future of eberron so it's like cyberpunk oh that's cool yeah and i it's i can't i'm sorry maybe i can post a <laughs> no, link later cool. or something but uh it's their their layout is really really cool so i think that um yeah i think people are mostly most of the time thinking they're worried they don't want to step outside that box mm-hmm. that that 5e has created because they want their project project to be appealing to 5e people and i totally get that but um i think that really ties your hands in a lot of ways yeah. um but yeah uh I, they, I would love to see more 5e 
games, more OGL 5e stuff that really takes it in a weird direction. And I think we do see those once in a while, but mm-hmm. we haven't seen like a lot of them. Yeah, I don't think I was thinking about uh, um, campaign settings, and I think I read somewhere that you can't publish your campaign setting on the dm's guild you have to go no you can't you have to do that through drive through rpg or something because they yeah they specifically want you to make their stuff so it's got to be like a Ravenloft, a eberron a forgotten Mm -hmm. realms type of game yeah but here's the thing right you could take Ravenloft, and you could structure it in terms of the syntax of the writing and the layout like a shelly book like you could totally do well i mean a shelly novel doesn't really have much but but you could totally do that if you wanted. That would be with keeping within the rules, but it would be very different. Um, but a lot of people are like, okay, well, we know that character abilities are supposed to be written this way because this is how they're written in 5e, mm-hmm. so we don't want to change the way wording works. But what I'm trying to tell people is, no, change how wording works. You can. You're, you have to- – you could, is totally free to do that because mm-hmm. maybe that will turn off some people because they'll see like – I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of an example and I'm blanking on it, but like the way character abilities are supposed to be worded, they may see something and it's worded completely differently. And they're like, I don't know how this is supposed to work in play because it's not worded the way the player's handbook is worded. And that could turn off some people. But on the other hand, you might word it better than the player's yeah. handbook does yeah. because the, play, the syntax they use for 5e, not actually that good. <laughs> not actually that good. Like it's okay, but it's not that good. <laughs> um, before we leave, uh, what are you playing these days? Are you are playing any any Five E or other D- RPGs in general or anything? I mean, I run Five E every week for my home group. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm running Avernus right now. Actually, like oh, a heavily really? modified version. Okay, I was of like Avernus. Yeah. That that just doesn't feel like a. It's not, that's not my favorite adventure, and I feel like you have to make heavy modifications to make it fun. But <laughs> I. Well, that's the thing. I think once you get to Avernus, it's very fun because yes. it's like Mad Max, right? Yes. Um, but the, but I completely rewrote the entire Baldur's Gate chapter. Yeah. Like, I think I used ten percent of what was in there, and I made it like a long thing. But I made it a tr- whole, whole thing. The central tension in that was like police brutality uh-huh. and stuff. So there was a bunch of social commentary I wrote into it. But uh, but my players really liked it, and that came out really well. And so I'm running that. So five E uh, do that every week. And what else am I playing? There's um, a. I just want to mention really quick. There's a. Uh, Eltrell has fallen. Is a. They rewrote the Baldur's Gate part of Descent into Avernus, mm-hmm. and if you and and basically like you should just buy this and run this at the beginning, and it'll still take you to Avernus. So like yeah. it's a DM's Guild product, but I love that they did that because they're like, this is a cool idea, but you did not do this right, Wizards, and so they fixed it. <laughs> yeah, no, they didn't. That 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 beginning chapter of that game sucks. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm running that. What else am I running? I'm not I'm not running anything else. Okay, I, that's cool. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm we played an testing. OSC game, which was fun. Old school essentials. Yeah, uh, you were that was super a good. I, very powerful Duogar that like ran around. <laughs> Got all big. I died in one hit. You did Excuse die pretty you. quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but no, the um, I play a little bit of OSC. I play a little bit of DCC on like semi regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I am writing a hack for 5e that is kind of a rules light hack for it with another person. That project I can talk about because it's like well underway and everyone's on board for it. That's awesome. Um, but it's coming on really well and I did some playtesting of it. I, what's done now is character creation has been rewritten for rules light and for like narrative focus. Okay. And I actually have to get you to, to test it. I think it works really, really That'd well. That'd be fun, yeah. I should send you some of my uh, modular D6 stuff that I've been writing, too. Um, you can tell me if it's working. I've only had one play test in it. Anyway. Uh, thank you, Lex, so much for coming yeah. out. Uh, sitting Thanks in at Burger me. King and talking to me. <laughs> uh, always love having you on the show. Um, people can find you at, at Dink Dungeons. Do you have a website or anything else you need to promote? I don't have a website. Um, yeah, I'm just on Twitter. I'm too lazy to make a website. But uh, I'm on Twitter at Dink Dungeons. Uh, there's actually a link tree uh, up there which can link you to my DMs Guild creator page, my um, itch.io creator page, my Bandcamp creator page. Uh, and Go get a Zag. It's awesome. As Yeah, get go go buy Azag. There's, oh, you know, one thing I can announce about Azag, uh, if you're a fan of Azag, 
and you're also a fan of physical things like books and cassette tapes, yes. um, there might be something in the works for a limited physical release of that game with, uh, with an OSR publisher who I really, really like. Um, they approached me about it. We've been show, we've been trained back and forth in terms of like the graphics that are going to be used nice. and like the pricing structure and everything. So that is like well under way. I think by the end of the summer, that's probably going to be, be cool. out. That'll be really cool. Available yeah. people. Um, but yeah, check out that stuff for me. And um, oh, and I also am on Patreon, um, Patreon.com/slash/DankDungeons. And if you're on there, you just get access to like knowing what stuff I'm working on. And you get like the playtest material I'm doing, mm-hmm. and uh, also just if you're at a high enough tier, you get the non DMs Guild products that I put out. You just get them, right? So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you again for coming out. Uh, again, uh, people in America, happy Fourth of July tomorrow. Stay safe. Uh, please don't burn down the country, as uh, most please. where I live is going through a crazy heat wave, uh, <laughs> and everything is very dry, um, including my poor lawn. Uh, but go play some games. Uh, I'll put some links eventually to the things we talked about uh, in this video slash podcast description. Uh, until then, thank you guys so much. Uh, be awesome, have fun, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.